when I was a kid, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And when I grew up, um, working on becoming one. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Joshua Javahari. Joshua is the CEO and founder of Lucky Day, a lifestyle app he dreamed up back in 2014 during his freshman year of college. Lucky Day is a free mobile app where users can play casino-style games and have the chance to win real money, which is funded by advertisers. As of this recording, Lucky Day is the top-ranked casino app on Google Play and has been covered by Forbes, Time, and NBC. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Josh. How are you? Great, Ben. Thank you for having me. Good, of course. So we always like to start with something called a current curiosity, anything that's recently sparked your interest. For me, this one's a little silly, but I was recently on a road trip, and uh, I was thinking about how back in the day when we went on road trips, we had to use MapQuest. I don't know if you remember MapQuest, but it was basically like you, you went on... MapQuest.com, you put in the directions, you printed them out, and you prayed to God that you would make it and you'd follow the directions and you'd get there. And if you made one or two wrong turns, you had to figure it out. And it was such an ordeal. And GPS just completely changed that. And I started thinking about like, what even is GPS? How did it start and all that? So I just went down this rabbit hole for a few minutes. And GPS was originally started by the US government. I did not know that. And it's I knew it was satellites in the air, but I wasn't sure exactly how it worked. Basically, it's a network of 30 satellites. And wherever you are in the world, you're at least within range of four of them. So the more of them you're within range of, the more accurate your location is. So I just got thinking like GPS has actually changed so many things. It's changed like tracking and shipping. And with advertisers, you can now track like the location of where your consumer is at. And I don't know, I just went down this rabbit hole for a minute of thinking about something that we, or at least I take for granted all the time, which is GPS. And I'm, I, I'm now getting in an attitude of more like questioning little things or just looking in deeper into little things that we use but don't really consider. And that was one of them, GPS. GPS. Where'd, yeah. you, where'd, where'd, where'd your road trip take you? Uh, my most recent road trip was to Big Sur and Carmel in Northern California, which is beautiful. If anyone hasn't been, I highly encourage it. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. man. What about you? Uh, for me, recently, I've, I've been like just meeting a lot of people. And one topic that came up is the use of data in companies. Uh, and, and that was really interesting to me in, in, in how various companies uh, use data and, and uh, how leadership is such a critical role in the function of data in that organization, whether it's at Amazon or a Facebook or a startup, and how luck also plays a factor. So I, th- I think it's just been really interesting recently just talking to a lot of different uh, data people from various companies, from fintech uh, to trucking to uh, various other industries, just talking to data folk and seeing how they think from their company and really what's the right approach and just seeing how different teams do things different ways. Are you cold calling these different leaders or are you meeting them at conferences? How are you getting yeah, in touch with them? Yeah, I prefer to meet people similar to how you're meeting with me yeah. on a one-on-one. Yeah. Uh, so just really just sitting down for 30 minutes to an hour and just really learning about uh, the person uh, and seeing where the conversation goes. Uh, there's so many interesting people out there. And I think 
there's just not enough time in the day to meet them all. So I think it's just taking the effort and the time to just go and schedule it and meet as many awesome people as possible. When it's possible, I think is really valuable. And that's something I've been diving uh, deeper into recently uh, because it's easy to get comfortable with the people that are around you. It's hard to just go out there and constantly meet new people. But I think once you get that ball rolling, you it, 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 it like wakens up your appetite. It's like when you're not hungry and you have that first bite, you can't finish the meal. You start finishing the meal, right? It's the same thing with meeting people. Once you meet one great person, you want more and more and more. And there's so many great people in Los Angeles, right? You just got to dig through. Amen, man. That's what I'm trying to do with this podcast yeah. for sure. So speaking of sitting down with great people, I'm here with you today. And I'm so fascinated by Lucky Day because I was at a Clippers game not too long ago. And I saw Lucky Day being advertised. And I was like, oh, my God, that guy went to my high school. Like, I know that guy. <laughs> um, and that got me thinking about the app and about your leadership and I was reading about it and how you initially came up with the idea in 2014. So just take us back to the beginning about how did you initially get this idea for Lucky Day? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think, I think it goes further back than 2014. I think a lot of the decisions we make as we get older stem from how we grow up. And growing up, like, I always was a fan of, like, uh, rewards, right? Like, when you go to an arcade, I was always had the mindset of, like, how do you win? But I think it was a greater thing than that. It was... It was a fascination with just uh, winning, right? And like how people love winning, whether it's in sports, uh, whether it's in arcades, whether it's in the classroom. It's that comp- comp- competitive winning spirit that people love. And really when, when, I, when I was in 2014, I was living in Boston and I was really just thinking like, okay, what's, in, what's interesting, right? I knew I wanted to build a company. What exactly I wanted to build, uh, I wasn't 100% about. I had many ideas uh, and, I, and I threw a lot out there to see what would stick. Uh, but when it came to Lucky Day, it just seemed like something that I thought people would want, right? Like, people want to try their luck. Like, it is a human desire, right? Money is a, is like one of the three fundamental desires of humans. The other two we won't get into. <laughs> uh, but I think in 2014, I, I saw a world where I'm like, okay, technology was just taking off, right? Mobile was becoming extremely, uh, like, like, desirable, like, for people to build companies on top of. And I just wanted to figure out the right application for mobile, right? And with Lucky Day, it brought together all these things that I was very, very much like in tune with growing up of like winning and, 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 and casual gaming and, and, uh, and consumer. And just really Lucky Day allowed me to merge all these things that I was really fascinated in. Uh, obviously, that fascination and, and that interest for me and the reason why we do what we do over time has changed. Uh, but initially, it was that slight desire to say, okay, hey, how can we give some, how can we give people this delight, this delightful moment, this winning moment, right? And then how can we build around that? And from there, it's turned into, wow, look at this awesome consumer audience and how can we do more for them, right? This is, this is the paycheck to paycheck audience. It's a gigantic audience and there's, there's a lot of opportunity with them. So we just spoke a, a moment ago about data and the role of data. Were you looking at data to assess this landscape or did you just, you know, have an inkling that this is something I'm passionate about and then just follow it from there. And then you later found the data to support it. Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. I think there's always some data that you use. If that data is like raw numbers or is it, is it like some com- competitor or is it some market? And I think the data that I saw back then was this, this, they kept showing this chart, right? Like they kept showing this chart of the, the up and to the right chart, the up and to the right chart, up and to the right chart. And, and we kept looking at the board like, is that a company's growth? And they're like, yes. And we're like, how? 
and they're like mobile consumer and we're like what so we kept seeing this whole idea of uh scalability but like uh they i can't remember the name of the scalability they called it because it's just like such a myth now uh but you saw a trend an upward trend in mobile consistently it was, it was in mobile beyond, it was a beyond an upward trend it was yeah. it was a exponential growth. exponential growth they kept right that yeah. was the term exponential growth no one uses that term technology anymore yeah because it's a different time, but back then this whole concept of exponential growth was was big, right? And mobile consumer was really where people were looking at that for. So I think that was really the data that I was looking at. It wasn't the data necessarily specific to the application of Lucky Day. It was more so specific to the platform of mobile, right? And how fast it was growing and how people were moving from desktop to mobile and how much opportunity was there. Uh, in my opinion, a lot, of, a lot of people thought at that time that opportunity was starting to dwindle because there were like the top 50 players, the Apples, the Googles, the Facebooks, who uh, really owned most of the consumer base. But I mean, when you had that awesome of a distribution channel, like the opportunity seemed endless to me and it was just figuring out the right application for it. So I think that was really what I was looking to, for was like really the the rails versus the, the specific application. Was there a lot of casino games in the market at that point or was that still the infancy of that space yeah i don't think i was even looking at that oh wow right? and, okay. and, and i still don't kind of look at like who are the competitors i was like i said earlier like i was looking at the space yeah and like i tried other stuff in mobile too it wasn't just i just draw it into mobile like i knew i wanted to be in mobile right it was then finding the right application for mobile uh and i think that's the big thing right is like the big decision i think are the important ones if you, if you understand mobile and you understand consumers, you can find the right application once you figure out what they need and, and find that product that fits their need. Uh, and I think I understood the space, the place I wanted to deliver that value and I understood who the consumer that I wanted to communicate to was. Now it's just finding that right application. Uh, and I think that is just a discovery process. And it's a discovery process you're continuously working on trying to get better and better at. So was it a matter of trying different ideas and seeing, like you said, what was, what was sticking and what wasn't? And so... It was kind of trial and error, right? Yeah, trial and error. And like you, it also forms of data, I think, like keep you going, right? So I think early on when we started Lucky Day, when I say we, I mean myself, uh, I would go up to random people and just share the concept, right? And, and I think people's reactions give you a sense of like, would they use this or not? Uh, and we didn't, I, I, I didn't want to go into like social or another platform that I thought was like overly taken over. And I thought this whole idea of like free money or like, how can we give someone like like this free way to try your luck was interesting and I hadn't seen it done at scale. So I think that was the big thing for me. Like, who cares if it's been done, right? That's not what I cared about is has it been done at scale? And I didn't see it done at scale. So I said, this is an opportunity. I think a lot of people get stuck with saying, oh, someone started this idea already, right? But if there's no audience, who cares, right? right? And I think that's the reality is there's a lot of products that have been tried to be built before that people haven't taken anywhere might not be because the idea is bad. It might be because it was just not executed correctly or not approached correctly. All ideas, in my opinion, are out there. It's just doing it the right way and executing it and using data to find your way to the path of scalability. So from day one, you actually intended to make it a free platform. Yes. Yeah. Because I think that's something that strikes me as very different. Because I've seen you in interviews and people are like, how do you get around the illegality and the blah, blah, blah? And it's like, there's nothing wrong with what we do. It's free. There's no risk right. for the consumer. And I think that's something that's really important. And it seems like it's really been beneficial in the growth of the company. So it's interesting to hear that it's something from day one you thought about and you tested. 
Yeah. yeah. I guess I guess to that point, it's like we didn't want to just build something that would just be another thing, right? We wanted to do it differently. And mobile technology software allows you to change conventional thoughts, right? Like you would think you can enter something for free, right? But like there's such low amounts of cost to run software that you can do things that previously costed a lot of money mm. for free. Uh, as you see with all these mobile banks, right? There's all these mobile banks that are coming out every day and frankly they're like oh we're all reducing costs but they're reducing costs because there's no cost right there's no heavy operational costs and they don't have to deal with continuously showing their revenue growth uh, like these existing banks so they can have no cost they can have no overdraft fees they can do all these things right it's just really looking at the like minutiae right and like looking at the details and saying, can we cut this out? Yes. Can we cut this out? Yes. Can we cut this out? Yes, 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 yes. And you see, well, it, it doesn't have to cost so much. Interesting. So as you saw this space where people hadn't figured out how to scale it, how do you think you were able to figure out to scale what you set out to do in a space where people had tried, but not necessarily succeeded in scaling it? That's a good question. I don't know what the other people have done. I just know that we just were very patient and just took our time and tried to understand what works and what doesn't work. And just like, okay, that doesn't work. Okay, next, 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 next. And for a long time, we didn't really, like, I myself, I mean, we were just trying everything, right? And I think it took time to just hone in, hone in, hone in, hone in. And the faster you can do that, I think the faster you can scale scale a product. Uh, it was just honing, honing in all the variables because there's so many early on. And I think when you see what works and what doesn't work, what levers work and don't work, you can nick some and, and, and move forward with what does work. But that's, that's a discovery process, right? That takes so much time. If, if everyone knows how to scale something, they would do it on day one, right? But I think it takes years to figure out those levers and put them in a place that you can scale the business. And it also takes having the right team, right? I don't think for the long time I, I had the right team uh, because that, that was new for me, the power of great people. And that's something that I'm actually constantly trying to learn about, right? Because people build a business. A product does not build a business. Uh, so the right people, I think are people very much overlooked that piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And so how many people are at lucky day now as we're recording this in January, 2020? Yeah. So we're, we're about 30 to 40 people now. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but you know, it's, it's a constantly evolving team. Totally. So how do you, speaking of finding a great team, what do you do to attract great talent? That's, that's a, that's a very tough thing, right? Early on, I think we, we didn't. When I say we, I mean myself. When I was thinking about hiring, I didn't consciously think about hiring. It was, oh, the great people will find us, right? But how are they going to find us if I'm purposely trying to stay away from the media? Because media is a distraction. You don't media is not going to help you grow, right? You need you grow by building a great business. Uh, but then, as I got older and I and, and learned more, I realized like, no, media allows great people to actually find you. So I think those early on avoidances of publicity and things like that made it harder for us to attract great talent. Uh, it made it hard for people to recognize that we are a business and we are a viable place that people can uh, come and have a career. So something that we're constantly getting better at, I think we try to brand ourselves correctly. Uh, example, the Clippers partnership, right? A, a big reason for that was to be present in the Los Angeles community to attract the best talent and let them know that, hey, we exist, or at least when we reach out or they see us, they're like, oh, this company, we've seen them before. Uh, but... That that's not an easy thing, right? Because people people want to be working on the, ne the the existing trend, right? So it's like how do you how do you 
change your thoughts to be not don't work on the existing trainer, but work on something that can really be a massive consumer business. How did you find, you know, the clippers? Because there are a lot of different avenues you could have gone in terms of making Lucky Day more visible, especially in Los Angeles. How did you decide specifically if this was the right fit? Very simple. I, I thought they had a winning mentality from the top office. Right. I think Steve Ballmer has a winning mentality and I want to be tied to winners, not losers. So that's what I saw with the Clippers is they have winners in that company from from Steve Ballmer to Doc Rivers. And as you can see, when we worked with them, they did not have Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, but they stuck to the word. I mean, they told us lots coming for the Clippers and they've they've been true to their word. And uh, I mean, we're really proud of uh, their growth as a team and as an organization. And we're glad we, that we as a company can be a part of that. So in terms of, you know, when good talent comes your way, how do you go about figuring out who's a right fit for Lucky Day specifically? Yeah, that's the, that's the golden question. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think you ask anyone, they'll tell you that, right? It's like yeah. you want them to hit, hit your values, right? I mean, I think that's easier said than done. And uh, we try to change up our interview process a lot uh, to just see what works better because it's really easy for people to say words in an interview and have actions that don't follow. It's really easy to bullshit someone with words in these interviews. Um, so uh, it's really like, how can we cut the bullshit and know what is it going to be like on day one, day 30, day 60, day 90. And as much as we can to mimic those experiences, we try to do to see what it feels like to work with that individual. Because hiring someone, especially in the state of California, is a big is a big take on, right? You're, you're investing a lot in that person. Uh, so you really don't want to have to let them go, right? You want to hire someone and you, and you want to build them because uh, that, exp- that cost of your time, training time, onboarding time, recruiting time, it's so much of an so much of a expense and opportunity cost that making a bad hire is really painful, but keeping a bad hire is much more painful. Yeah. So, so it's 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 really like a it, it, that's why they say hiring is the is 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 the foundation of any great company, right? And I really believe that. Like, if you can't get great people, you can't build something great. And if you can't decipher who's great and who's good and who's just okay, you got to say no a lot, a lot more than uh, than yes. I think that's the hard thing, right? Is like seeing someone who's like an eight out of ten, and knowing that you need a ten and saying no to the eight until you find the ten. It's it's not easy. It's not easy at all because you want you want you want to get the you want to get the candidate now, right? You want to you want to make the hire now, and you've already been re- recruiting for three months, and you finally found someone that you somewhat like, but you're not a hundred percent sold. What do you do? Do you take the person on, even though that role has been open for six months, for three months, or do you go back out to the market and try to find someone? And I think that's something that's easier said than done, right? In, in the perfect world, you say, "Well, go find someone else," right? Let's go, let's go back to the job board and let's search for someone else, but. In the reality, we don't live in a perfect world, and you you might not find someone who's even an eight again, you know. So what do you do? And I think that's a, that's kind of the questions we think a lot about is like making sure we we stay disciplined with who we hire, and making sure we're we trust the person before we hire them. If you don't trust you, we will not bring you in because if we don't trust you, we will not ever give you the keys to our wall to our doors, and you will not be able to do what you do well. So how do you go about that? Are you giving people assignments to work on before you hire them on a probationary period yeah that's a great question so i mean for every role it's different yeah we have a different interview process and we're constantly iterating on that to get better and better and better and learning and learning it comes down just hiring great managers if you hire the best managers the rest is easy 
it's finding those unicorns at the top that are that are the key to drive the rest because it flows top down. If 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 the leaders aren't strong, if I'm not strong, no one else is going to be strong, right? The best companies in the world. You look at the Amazons. You look at you look at the companies that people are inspired by. Their leaders are great. Are just like world class, like top point zero 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 one percent of the world. The rest of the team admires them, respects them, and wants to come and work and go to battle for them every day. So I think it's fixing it at the top first, or not fixing it, but getting better at the top all the time and constantly having the best strategy minds and best leaders and best managers in the room. And then the rest, the, the, the really the executors, can then be developed through these managers. But if you don't have great managers, the best executors will be lost and their value will not be fully uh, unlocked. Makes sense makes sense uh yeah hiring it's uh it's very costly to have a bad hire yes yeah totally so switching gears a little bit now from hiring to and the teamwork to kind of the creation and building of the app once you had this idea and you were confident in it you wanted to pursue it what is the next step because i don't think you were a computer science major so you have to find an engineer right what are what are the next steps to kind of make it a reality uh so there's a best case scenario next step and then there's a real world next step and best case scenario next step you find a cto who can come and build your tech team and he's a great manager she's a great manager and she's hiring the best engineers and you're getting the best phds and they're starting to build out your product right one probably you don't have the money to hire that those people two it's going to be just as hard to just find those people. Even if you didn't want to hire them and just make them a co-founder, that's in itself a huge challenge because getting a co-founder is the same thing as building a successful company. Nine out of 10 times, you're going to get the wrong person. You're not going to get the right person. And I think people expect to get things right more than they expect to get things wrong. So they usually get disappointed when things are wrong versus saying, wow, I got it right. I should be overly joy. No, you got it wrong. That's expected. Expect to get things wrong. Don't put yourself in positions where you can't maneuver around if you do get it wrong. And I think a lot of people, when they start a company from scratch, as you're talking about, they get those big decisions wrong up front and then they're stuck, right? So I would say don't let your, I would say the most important thing is don't let yourself be stuck at any time, right? So if you have an idea, you want to make it happen, don't right off the bat go and find someone and say, hey, here's half my company, let's go. Because you made yourself stuck at that point. If that other person is now loses an ounce of energy because it's easy to be motivated up front but loses an ounce of energy three months in you're stuck do not let yourself get stuck whatever you do do not be stuck right uh so really i'm, I'm not a fan of just jumping into finding someone a cto and just like hey we're co-founders let's go i'm more a fan of of, of really running it as a process right like you want to do what's best for the company at all times and what's best for the company changes so don't put yourself in a position that you're going to get stuck so if you may need a few engineers right now to get build a proof of concept go find a few cheap engineers get a proof of concept and 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 start that way right i i really think it depends on all the scenarios right do you have access to capital do you have access to great hires have you come from a have you already worked in the work environment because when i started this was i had never worked at a company right but i think if you let's say you come from a dropbox you come from a facebook you come from amazon you're already surrounded with the great people. You take your best colleagues and you start with them as an example. Or you take your best colleagues and you try to tinker around with them. But if you don't come from, from that pot, let's say you come from a pot of having access to capital, find a way to take some of that capital and use it to hire the best people. 
right? So I really think it depends on what your resources are and doing the most with those versus one path for all because it depends on where you come from. It depends on how lucky you were, where you were born in the world. And, and the reality is luck is a big factor in these situations, in how you start, where you start, who you start with, whom you do not start with. That is where luck comes into play, in my opinion. I, I don't think luck is, is if, if your idea is good or not. That, that's just, that's, 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 there's other reasons for that. I think the bigger thing you're lucky is, were you born in a country that gives you the opportunity to even build a business? Were you, are you lucky enough to have the financial freedom to start a company? You know, I think that's where luck is more valuable. And frankly, you do need to be lucky to be able to even have this chance to start a company. 100%. Yeah. Luck was a part of lucky day. Go figure. Very much so. <laughs> so you in the beginning, as I understand, did not necessarily have the capital right off the bat, but then you did get half a million dollars in funding, correct? So how did, how did you go about getting seed funding? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, just like I said earlier, like I love to meet people. And I think even, even back then, this is about almost like six years ago, I wanted to get as much information as I could, right? I wanted to understand like what is the right process, right? I knew I needed some level of capital. I didn't know how much. Uh, and I, but I knew I needed at least some sort of six-figure range, or if not more. So I kind of just like was already building a prototype and, and getting that app going and trying to get something out to the market. So getting like a, some sort of beta app out on Google Play and the App Store. But I knew I needed capital, right? Because we were going to need to kickstart the growth, right? And I just built a deck and I threw on the half a million. I had a few friends and colleagues uh, review it and give me feedback and I started meeting with investors. And the beauty of early on is they're not investing so much in, in your your company, they're investing more in you. And if they believe in you, they'll give you the money. And we were not asking for millions of dollars. And I think there's, there's like I said, in terms of being lucky, like I think I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by, with a lot of people that could write a check if they believe in, in, in me or what I'm doing. Uh, and I was lucky enough to find the right partner who it was, it was just like the right opportunity for them, an interest of theirs to get into consumer technology and the vision made sense. So in that sense, that was another chance of getting lucky, right? I was lucky to have time connect me with the right person at the right time. But again, you only need one person, right? You only need two people to raise that capital. So I think it's fine. There's one or two people that will believe in you and will be all in. And I think the beauty of my first seed investor is I only, I only went with them is because I felt this deeper desire to support and help beyond just putting in capital. And that's what I was looking for because I knew I didn't know a lot of things. And I wanted people around me that can teach me a lot and can mentor me. And looking back five years, it was the right decision. And, and I've gotten that mentorship continuously and that support continuously more than I even expected. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's, uh, it was more than just a check for you, which is great. For sure. And it should be. It should be. I think there's stages where... Maybe you just want to check and you just yeah. want cash and you want silent money. But I think there's stages where you don't. And definitely, I think for a first time founder or or someone just starting out and it's like their first first round, I think getting someone who's going to be more involved is, is absolutely necessary because they become an extension of your team, right? They'll help you get the next round. They'll help you with advising you. They'll, they'll help you with feedback and they'll just be your support system. So once you get half a million... I imagine first you might take a night to celebrate, have a nice dinner or something, enjoy. But then what's the next step? Because that's now you have some pressure on you to actually make moves. Yeah. So what are what are the moves you you made following receiving that first round of seed funding? 
There was no, there was never any dinner, by the way. No dinner. There was no dinner. <laughs> there, uh, and, and, and and frankly, I think there was no pressure. It was more uh, excitement that sure. I can run. Yeah. Right. Because I think anyone that would say they raised money and got pressure, they're in the wrong. They're doing the wrong thing. Yeah. You should not feel any pressure. This has always been fun for me. Like even the challenges are fun because it's it's another problem that I get to solve. Right. If there's no problems, I think that's where I'm like scratching my head and saying, "Shit, I need something to work on." You know. I think. Uh, people who are doing this, they, they have this extreme belief in themselves that they are great and they want to achieve greatness or they shouldn't do this, right? This is, this is, this is, this is the real world, but it's, it's more than that. I think it's not even about the money. It's like your time. People who are building companies, for the most part, from what I've seen, I, at least I'm speaking for myself, we value time more than money, right? Because why are we building a company? Because we're trying to create more value in the fastest way we believe is possible. And we believe that way is through building a business. Uh, and that and, and, and that's really what it was, right? It's like when you close a round of funding, you get elated, not for the fact that you just got a half a million, because that money is not my money, right? You get elated because now you have fuel to move faster. Now you can keep that engine not only going, but going with supercharge, right? It's like when you're playing that race car game at the arcade, if you get that nitro, you're using that nitro. And every time you raise that fundraising, it's another nitro. So you want nitro, but you want it at the right time so you don't crash into the wall, right? But when you, when you have that clear run, runway, which... We had when we initially started and we have every time we look out to raise fundraising, we want that nitro because you want to clear that path immediately and not let opportunity go by. Right. So in terms of like specifically though, how you took advantage and what you did, like, did you go out and hire more people? Did you, where, where did you start investing? Because once you have money, I imagine, oh, you have so many options now. And how do you, how do you decide and prioritize what you want to move forward with at that time? Great question. I'll put it for you this way. Half a million dollars is not that much money, right? And, and, and I think hindsight, I don't think it's it, like there's many companies that can just start building a big business with half a million dollars. It is not a lot of money and it will fly away faster than you blink. Especially in consumer tech. Especially in consumer tech, right? Like building a product costs millions of dollars. So now imagine you're trying to run a business with half a million. Like that is insane looking back that we were able to do it, uh, do it with that amount of money because half a million is not that much. Right, like people's people are burning today tens of millions of dollars a month on on costs, and when you look back, uh, like I was able to make that half a million go pretty far until we were able to get to the next round, but it was not like let's raise half a million now, let's go higher and do the things. It was like we got half a million, we want to grow the business. It was not like let's add more overhead because at that point we're not making any money, right? So it was like what can we do to start growing our audience? Like that was the mindset, just grow the daily active users. That's it. Uh, and, and every dollar went towards, every dollar was aimed towards pushing up that needle in whatever way we could. That was, that made sense. That was ethical for sure. Yeah. Uh, but that can help move that needle forward because that's why I started this, right? It was to grow a massive consumer business. I, I didn't start this to just, uh, do it to hire people or, 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 or go to dinners. It was, I want to grow a massive business. Give me capital so I can go do that. And that's what we started doing, right? And, 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 and it's always been about that, right? Like moving that needle, moving that needle, moving that needle. What's next? What's next? And what next? What else can we do for the consumer? What else can we do for the consumer? What else can we do for the consumer? Because we think there's a massive amount of consumers that are just underserved. And they're the same consumer that goes to a bank that the bank does not want. as a, like, It's not even that they don't want. They will not qualify as a client, right? And we want to show those consumers that your life can be as great as anyone, right? And, and and we want to eventually help them reach financial freedom. I think that's my long-term life goal is how do we help 
the people who don't have financial freedom, who can't live the life they want to live, live the life they want to live and have that financial freedom in order to do so. Because I think that's what separates people from what I've seen. I, I Again, it's my perspective. Is without financial freedom, you're you're living in, 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 in a trap that you will never get out of. So what are... Because that's very profound. And I think that's a really awesome mission. What are some of the resources you then turn to to make that a reality? So I imagine like on one hand, you need advertisers to help you, right? Because if you don't have advertisers, yeah. you can't you can't offer the money to change people's lives. And then secondly, how do you keep people coming back to the app? So whether that's, you know, and growing. So yeah. user retention and user growth, I guess is what I'm asking you. Does Is it a matter of changing the games on the app? bringing in more advertisers, looking to social media for targeting new users. Talk a little bit about both user growth and user retention and some of the tools you tap into. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think for a long time, I tried to bring the mission into the product. And what you realize is, is this is a company's mission, not our product's mission. So our product is here to engage our audience and, and to give them new ways to try their luck every day. The company mission is something that's going to take a lot longer to get through and will take multiple types of products for us to achieve. So Lucky Day was our first product, right? It was it was a place for people to come and try the luck. But in order to get this full mission of changing people's financial lives, I think there's a lot more steps we need to take and a lot other types of products we need to build, but it will over, over time become this ecosystem. And through our ecosystem uh, that is serving this core consumer base, we think we can achieve this. But this is not a one year, two year, three year. This is a five to 10 year uh, vision that we want to make come alive. And, and, and in our existing product, it's really like you said, it's how do we get the consumer to come back to give them more ways to try their luck, right? How do we keep it engaging and fun? And I think there's tried and true ways of doing that, which we also try to tap into. Uh, but it's more so the the greater vision that I think is, takes more precision and, 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 and more calculated risk to get right. And in terms of that kind of precision and calculated risk, is that kind of going back and forth with engineers until you, the vision in your head works on the app? Like what's uh, what's like the physical process of making the app like for you? Uh, I mean, at this point, I, I like I have my product, like the product team handles like the day-to-day updates and, and, and really building that out. And, and I really work closely with them to bring that alive. Uh, but... It's 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 a company wide uh, discussion. It's not a me and engineers or me and product. It's it's really a company wide directional uh, thought process on what it's going to take to really build this consumer ecosystem uh, that we think is going to take time, but is going to be extremely uh, aligned with our mission and and help us get there. Uh, lucky day. I mean, it's 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 been really this platform, this place, this app. It's uh, really our first product where we can take what we think will give users what they want and, and, and give it to them and, and see how they engage with it. And really, that's how we've evolved the product into this uh, really highly engaging like sweepstakes gaming application where people can come and try their luck with like a daily scratch or a lottery. But really, they're here because they want to try their luck to, for a chance to win cash, right? So whatever we can do to give them more opportunities, we will do, but we don't want to waste their time and we don't want to put them in a quarter. So I, I think it's... It's a really tough thing to manage an existing product while also building new ones, but we're trying to deal with that now. And how much of your work do you think is kind of like, you know, focused on the people in the office versus how much feedback are you got? How much time are you guys spending on feedback, let's say from user reviews or even looking at competitors? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we, we look at all sources of, of data, like user reviews, uh, support tickets and everything. When we've been doing this for so long, I think the problems and the challenges are more obvious for us. So we're working towards them. They're not easy, but uh, they're things that we're constantly working towards. But we look at reviews. We, we talk to customers. We, we bring them in for uh, testing and feedback. But that's a continuous cycle of just reading and trying to iterate and get better and better and better. On this journey, because you've been at it for a few years now, I imagine along the way there might have been some surprising challenges. Could you maybe recall one of the surprising challenges and kind of walk us through how you resolved that? Yeah, surprising challenges are not fun. I'll, I'll say that. Surprising challenges are things you cannot plan for, but they will come up unexpectedly and you'll have to find a way to quickly deal with them. And I think great teams, they deal with them like immediately. Like one-hour turnarounds or next-day turnarounds in crappy teams they get stuck and they don't know what to do next, right? They don't make a decision. So when we do have these scenarios where we have uh, unexpected situations, we just try to make a decision as soon as we can, whether it be the right or wrong decision, but make a decision so we can move forward because we don't want the entire company to get stuck. But those are those are the the days that are not fun, right? But those are the days that make or break a company, right? And I think every company has them. Uh, a, a specific scenario that I can think about right now I mean, we, a few a few months back, I guess like, here's a simple one, right? Like people leaving, right? When a company is growing really fast, it's it's hard to be emotionally available. It's not hard, but it's uh, there's a lack of awareness and a lack of emotional availability for your team members. So it's really easy to get stuck in the day to day business and 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 ignorant of people's emotions, right? You're assuming we're growing, everyone's happy, everyone's enjoying it, and everyone's all in, and, 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 and they're feeling like they're growing as well. It's hard to stop, sit, acknowledge, and, and resolve a scenario, right? And I think a few months back, that had built up in some people, and I mean, we had a few people just quit on the spot, right? And I think that was a shock, but it was a, it was a great learning moment, right? Because it created a lot of awareness for me that like, at the end of the day, like, Losing someone is probably one of the hardest things because it's a full reset and it's like you are, you're building from scratch and, and we had to do that and that is not fun and I, that's why I'm like a really big advocate in retaining your team and building relationships and, and maintaining them and building that trust uh, so you don't have these surprises and that if there is problems, you can resolve them. If you can't resolve them, then let's find a better path, right? Maybe it means you're at another company, but not to a point that you feel like no one's listening to you and you decide to quit on the spot like that. Right? So have you made any changes since then or it doesn't have formal or informal to yeah. kind of see where your team is at? Yeah, I think that's a great thing. And I think it started with me, right? I think it was a look within myself because this problem, if it exists, it's, it exists from the top down. Like I said, any problem that exists in an organization, it's, it's very easy to point at some manager, but really you should always point at one person and that's the CEO uh, because it usually stems from them. It usually stems from them. And in this scenario, I noticed that I was very much running the business as a drive, drive, drive nature and a driving culture where it's all about results without the thought of getting the results and understanding if people are feeling heard or listened to. It's Because at the end of the day, if the team isn't a buy-in, they're just doing it because they feel like they have to do it. They're not doing it because they want to do it, right? So I think it was stepping back and saying, like, are each of my managers are aligned? Are they all in? And if they're not all in, I can't expect their team to be all in. So I think it's really making sure that that connection and that that blood flow between myself and the managers and the managers and their team members is always there. And previous to this, 
there was maybe areas where blood flow wasn't flowing right and I wasn't aware I w- I, m- I might have been aware but I might not have addressed it because I'm like we're growing let's just keep growing right I'll address that later when you have broken when your arteries are no longer feeding blood to your arm your arm is not going to wait your arm is going to fall off you're going to have to amputate that arm and I think I was running with the scenario of like yeah I'll I'll get blood to go to my arm later I'll get blood to go to my leg later and instead I lost my arm and I lost my leg and then I'm now with one leg and one arm and I'm like shit you know so I think it's when you feel the blood is not flowing immediately addressing it right it's not hard to address it I think it's hard in the moment to be conscious that there is an issue that needs to be addressed and prioritizing people over uh over like the that day's business result initiative right because if your team is all in and their team is all aligned that business result will be achieved faster. But if you feel like you can only do it on your own, you're a bad leader. So I think I, I'm change, I changed my mindset as a leader to I have to do it versus no, I'm hiring people that I, sh- I, should, I should be hiring people and I should have people around me that I do trust enough that I don't have to do it myself, that I can trust that they can do it. And I think that was a transitional period for me. And it's something that actually, after talking to so many people, I've seen like a lot of companies have this issue where the CEO feels like they got to do everything. And... And now I feel like it's an advantage towards us because I'm so aware of that and I'm so against doing going through that route again that I think now we have that advantage where we want to hire people that we trust. We want to hire people that we can give the keys to and give them the tools to be successful. And I want to be their biggest supporter and no longer their biggest answer giver, right? Like they should be teaching me. I should not be teaching them. So I think it's created a lot of awareness in getting the right people that can do the job at the highest level where you don't feel the need to jump in and do it for them. That's amazing, man. You heard it here first. Dr. Javahari prescribing, letting the blood flow. So I have to ask, like at this stage, there's a lot on your plate. You're the head of this company. How do you structure your days and your weeks to make sure you are getting the results you want? Yeah. Uh, I control my calendar. It's that simple. So you don't have an assistant or anyone who... I don't have anything yeah. go on my calendar that I'm not aware of. And I do yeah. not and I do not accept invites that I do not send out. It's that simple. I send out the invites and, and, and I make sure that agenda is set. So I think it's always having that four people on a table mindset, even as you go up to 40, even as you go to 400, even as you go to 4,000 people. How do you always have the communication or make sure the communication feels like it's always four people on the table? Because four people on the table moves fast as hell. 40 people spread out do not move fast as hell. So get it to that point all the time and if you f- and, and what i really focus on is closing those gaps right where, where i see them amazing man i feel like i've learned so much about startup culture in a very practical way because i feel like startups are around us but it's not often that i get the chance to speak with someone who's successfully launched yeah. a startup and see the journey and it's my been, advice is this yeah people should not be starting companies yeah i think too many people start companies that shouldn't be starting companies yeah and I don't think everyone should start a company. I, I I don't think it's the right journey for most people. And I think most people see other people start companies and they start companies. And then a lot of shitty companies get born and then a lot of shitty companies fail. And then a lot of people end up doing jobs that they don't want to do instead of doing what they're just really good at, right? Some people are really good at at building products. Some people are really good at making things grow. Doesn't mean they know how to build a company. Doesn't mean that's what they should be doing. And doesn't mean they're going to be happy doing it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like Steve Wozniak back in the early growing days of Apple had the opportunity to keep going up the ladder. But at a certain point, he realized, I enjoy, you know, the hardware, the software. I don't enjoy managing people. That's not my forte. Correct. 
and in our culture especially in america it's it's assumed that the higher up you go in a field you take on managerial responsibilities or the more money you make make, and often you have to accept the more managerial responsibilities to make more money even if that's not your passion which is not true right and i think that's what's going to change you're going to see that change you can be the greatest craftsman the greatest engineer and you don't have to be a manager and you can still grow and make more money yeah right like you don't have to be a manager because really you're being put in a position to fail because you're not a good manager that isn't your skill set but you're the best engineer what's the next logical step manager that doesn't have to be the next logical step manager and and individual contributor are two different skill sets so i think a lot of people try to jump from individual contributor to manager thinking that's the next logical step where those are two completely different growth tracks right so i think there's a lot of systematic problems with how teams are built uh i think there's a lot of technology companies that i've actually figured them out that people don't know about that have figured them out and they keep doing them what they think is traditionally the right way, which is not the right way. And a lot of millennials come into opportunities thinking this is the right way, coming into the office of the big ego on day one, thinking that this is how they're supposed to grow. And it is hurting themselves more than it is helping themselves. Right. I think that's the biggest thing that I've noticed is, and this is the biggest thing that we look for is humble people. Everyone wants to work with people that put themselves last and put the company first, right? And, and and I don't mean that in the sense of like, companies should win, you shouldn't win, but in the sense of like, your thoughts, your decisions around uh, what's good for the company and what's good for you are usually aligned, not what's good for you is aligned with just what's good for you. And I think uh, that's why it's getting harder and harder to find the right people, because you find a lot of people who walk into an interview thinking that they're joining a charity, right? And that you are lucky to have this charity this person who's doing charity for you so i think that's another problem is getting that quality of humble individuals like there are people who are like chief chief executive officers at many companies who walk into room and are so humble and nice and kind and and no ego right and then and then you'll meet like someone come out of the woodwork talking as if they're like the next god and 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 it's really disappointing right because like you want to help them grow, like you want to give them an opportunity to grow, but they almost shoot themselves in the foot by, by not being humble enough to listen. And I think that's something that just takes experience to learn. Uh, but that's one of the biggest challenges in hiring people is finding people who are just like humble enough and hungry enough to appreciate the opportunity and take the most out of it versus expect it. Right. right no right. one wants to give something to someone when it's expected. They want to give something to someone who's earned it, who, who deserves it, who appreciates it. And I think it's those little soft skills that I've noticed that are missing in today's culture in, in this country. I don't think this is a worldwide problem. I think this is a, this country, from what I've seen from my many startups and from just reaching out to a lot of candidates, there's an expectation versus a humility, right? There's a, there's a less lack of appreciation for the opportunity, more thank, like you should thank me for being in your office every day. Right. And I think that will change soon. Right. I think a lot of companies are going to have a lot of problems soon. And I think a lot of people are are not going to be like walking in heaven in their office every day because most companies are not making money. Most companies are are not running real businesses. They're they're running. I don't, I don't want to phrase it any coin any terms right now, but let's just say they're not running anything that's would live much longer once that venture capital money dries up. Yeah, I think uh, you're making two points that really interest me. One is just generally, no matter what field, humility is so valuable and goes such a long way. And so much of getting 
promoted or getting trusted with greater responsibilities comes from just being a decent person to be around from my experience. Like just talking from my own line of work, trying to be a TV writer. The first step in a writer's room is production, writer's production assistant, writer's PA. That job largely entails getting coffee and lunch. But the way it's so interesting, the way you move up to the next position, which is showrunner's assistant, is you got to do a good job at bringing the lunches and the coffees. And then they trust you to like take notes when your boss is talking to the studio, which is a different skill set. But you can't get trusted with that responsibility unless you show that you're enthusiastic in your job as a PA. And then as a showrunner's assistant, you got to make sure you're cool with the scheduling and a lot of secretarial duties. And then if you do good at that, they trust you with writer's assistant where you might even get a script. So it all goes back to like, did you have a smile on your face when you were stocking the fridge? It's really as simple as that sometimes. And so that was an interesting point. And also I think your point about individual contributors versus what was the other term you mentioned? Individual contributors versus managers. Versus managers, right. So I think that that, as you said, I totally agree will change a lot, especially with the gig economy. I think you're already seeing a lot of a lot of that in creative freelance fields. Like if you're a very talented graphic designer, I don't know if you today, especially with Instagram, I don't know if the first move is to go out and try to find a company to hire you. If you're really... And if you do, you come to Lucky Day. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but I think like from what I've seen, especially in the graphic design space, and granted, that's a pretty specific field, but a lot of talented f- people in that field are now just going directly to Instagram. You can see their portfolio and you can hire them and they're their own bosses, but they're doing their craft. They're not responsible for managing people because they don't necessarily care about that. And it's a win-win. The company who's seeking their services gets the best service and the person performing the service is happy because they're doing what they want to do. And so I think like social media and Instagram and the new ways to promote oneself, I think will go a long, long way for that. And you see this this screwed up a lot, right? Like where like the best designer becomes the lead design, like the lead design manager. Sure. And then they be, spend more time managing people than designing. They're not good at managing. They're actually probably like a, like a zero out of 10 in managing, but a 10 out of 10 in designing. Why are you putting them in that role? Because they're the best designer, which is right. a conventional thought, which is against common sense. Yeah. So like we've had that opportunity, right? Like one of the early on people I started a company with uh, is, a, is a designer, right? And, and he's been with us for the last almost four to five years. And, phenomenal but i've never taken him out of that role and put him in a managerial role because that is not what he's good at and nor is it where he loves what he does so do you just incentivize so okay then the issue becomes how do you incentivize that you because that person still wants the traditional raise or promotion and i I think and i think someone like that who's growing like that and creating so much value you incentivize them through a combination of stock and equity like stock and and salary right but the right person will be there because they do have a big share, especially when they join early on and they will want to see that grow, right? And and I think that's what we're looking for now is people who will get the same salary here as they would get anywhere else, but are here primarily because that equity, the opportunity to learn and the opportunity to grow as a person are just so much better with us, yeah. right? Where I do think we're much more competitive. Like you go to a, a Google, a Facebook, and Amazon, like they're great, you'll, you'll be salary heavy, but how much upside is there really? I mean, if you joined last year, maybe there was some upside. But now with how <laughs> right. high the markets are, like how much upside is there really, right? right? The like, whole notion of being a big fish in a small pond, basically. Correct. Right. And how much, fish in a yeah. big pond. And I think there's things to learn there. They're just different, right? So I think it really depends on the person and where they are in their career. If you want to move fast and, and learn a lot from people that 
have done your craft at a higher level, great, go to a big company, right? If you are already the best at your craft and you want to just have a space that you can you can really execute and, and take advantage of that knowledge and that experience, join a startup. But I think usually what's happening is the opposite. The inexperienced person who wants to do a lot is joining a startup and they want a manager and a leader who's going to show them what to do, but that is not a startup environment. Startup environment, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a free college education, but people treat it that way. Startup is a place to run. And you look at like a company like Amazon, when they were a startup in the early days, they didn't have co- like kids who were for the first time doing something. They had killers. And they had killers who killed together, right? And I think a lot of startups you see starting now, they have a bunch of inexperienced people. And I think sometimes that works out and you hear that, you think that's the model. But the best startups that I've seen are killers who have been at the Amazons, who have been at the Googles, who have seen so much and have seen so much scale, but want to do it now themselves and want to get, build a company from zero to one to that scale themselves, right? Uh, whereas a lot of people who have built a startups, right? Even I have this mistake where I never had that foresight of like, what does a massive company do to get there, right? So I think you're almost like reinventing a wheel. But when you can work with people who've already seen that wheel work, them rebuilding that wheel, yeah, of course it's not easy. But they bring that knowledge and experience that can help guide you to get there faster. Man, we've given a lot of profound wisdom today. I think uh, I think people have gotten their healthy healthy dose. So before we wrap up, I'll just we'll transition out with a light set of fun questions, not necessarily business related. How long has this been? <laughs> it's been almost an hour. Wow. Yeah. So I gotta ask. Besides Lucky Day, what's an app that you can't live without? That's a great question. Let me check my phone. What is an app I cannot live without? Not including, you know, the phone or messages. Let's, okay. Let's I, use, I, I love my calendar. Okay. Uh, you, just the regular okay. calendar? I love, I love LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. LinkedIn, LinkedIn is, I want to be a nice influencer on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I tell my team, spend less time on Instagram, more time on, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Fair enough. You know, LinkedIn, at least, uh, at least when you're on LinkedIn and you're messaging people and you're trying to people like, it's like it's a good growth of knowledge. I feel like when you're on Instagram or these platforms, it's just like you're like okay, you're like questioning your life. Sure, it's gonna be a little mindless. Yeah. Uh, if you could only have one food for a year, what would it be? If you go to Honor Bar, their chicken sandwich with lettuce wrap—that's what I'm going for. All right, the Honor Bar is a great spot on Beverly Drive in Los Angeles for anyone who happens to be around. That, that's a that's very specific. It's very tasty. Yeah. Very specific. What was the extremely last? Extremely fried. Extremely fried. Yeah, make sure to have some water. What was the last gift that you've given someone? The last gift I gave someone was uh, some someone who's dear to me. I gave her a, a, a little lamp that when I touch the lamp and she, uh, her lamp turns on, and when she touches the lamp, my lamp turns on. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, what was the last vacation you went on? Uh, I went to New York. Is that considered a vacation? Was it for work or for uh, pleasure? It was for combination. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> it, it never feels like work, right? I mean, it's part of your life. It's like saying, do you shut off using the restroom? You know? <laughs> Probably not. So if you don't shut off using the restroom, I'm not shutting off my computer. That's fair, man. That's fair. And lastly, I ask all my guests, what's your jam? Jam as in song. Because we're creating a Spotify playlist. Very of easy. All our guests recommend it. Go ahead. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Latin, Latin pop. Okay. So my song right now is uh, I like this song. It's called Desero. Uh, okay. Who's it by? It's by CNCO. Okay. Have you heard of CNCO? I haven't. I don't think. Oh, you're missing out on life. Yeah, uh, but we'll include it in the yeah, playlist. No, so everyone can enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if your audience listens to this kind of music, but they will now. <laughs> <laughs> it right. might be thrown off. <laughs> Thank you so much, Josh. I really appreciate you it. Got man. it. Thank you, Ben. Yep. Thank you for having me.
If you'd like to follow Lucky Day, you can follow the app's Instagram page at Lucky Day App. And if you'd like to follow the pod, you can do so at HDYD Pod. Thanks for listening.